Did you know that women are two times more likely to experience stress during the holidays than men? I know a lot of you listening right now have a full-time career, plus you carry a majority of the domestic duties like grocery shopping, preparing meals, buying gifts, planning all the social events, and the list goes on and on. Then you throw COVID regulations and fears and plus homeschooling the kids on top of all of that and there's even more stress. I know the holiday season can be a lot, but I also want to remind you that you don't have to allow stress to control you. I'm excited to announce that Next Level Confident has launched a brand new holiday workshop that's available for the next eight weeks. In this workshop, I'm gonna teach you powerful, tangible mindset shifts to relieve stress both at home and at work so that you can show up as the calm, confident woman that you are. If you work in corporate America and believe this workshop would support the women of your company, you can connect me with your human resource manager so that we can get this on your company calendar. Head to our website, nextlevelconfident.com forward slash holiday dash stress dash workshop to watch this super awesome video that I created and to learn more about the workshop. Hope you're having a great start to your holidays. What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident Podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Next Level Confident Podcast. Today, I have my friend, Samantha Joy, on the show. Welcome, Samantha. Hi. So happy Um, to be here, finally. Yes, finally. I know. We've, after being Instagram friends for like four years, we're making this (laughs) happen. Long time, long time. (laughs) So you guys, Samantha Joy is an identity coach to aspiring entrepreneurs and influencers, and her coaching approach focuses on the concept of minimalism enabling others to share to shift their identity to their most authentic self by clearing out aspects of their life rooted in an old story. So the result of enhanced mental clarity and improved sense of self and the ability to design an environment that attracts abundance and fulfillment. Give me that abundance and give me that fulfillment. I love it. Yes. So you guys, you can connect with Samantha <laughs> on Instagram. It's at Samantha underscore joy. And then underscore, underscore. So you got two underscores at the end. Samantha, joy, just as it all sounds. Woo! Okay. Samantha, will you tell us a little bit about your best-selling book that you've written called The Less Effect? Yes, I absolutely can. Um, yeah, so I wrote this book a few years ago, and it all happened really quickly. So I had been a coach for years up to that point, and my trade was in accounting and consulting. And so it was a lot of like the business end of things with a lot of my clients. And then what I was noticing was there was always like something deeper. Like we would focus on a goal around some type of, you know, measurement or something like that. When, you know, we dive into it, we'd realize there was something deeper going on. And so I I started to see myself reflected in these people because at the time I was in the corporate world but also doing 
coaching outside of that, like a side hustle, if you will. And I started to see so much of myself in these clients. And I started to see like the common, you know, challenges that they were having in myself and looking for answers. I mean, there's a way bigger story behind it, but essentially it was like, I was working with a coach and he had asked me, what is the message you die for? Like, how are you supporting these people in coaching them? Like, what is your message that you live and die by? And I, it literally hit me like all in one minute because I had been exposed to minimalism a few months prior to that conversation with my coach at the time. And I, I finally made the thread of like, I am so much happier when I have less. And I started to tie it to moments because I had moved, like it, it came to me out of nowhere. I had moved six or seven times in a decade. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I really feel great after those moments. I started to see a pattern. I would get overwhelmed. I would kind of make my next plan as far as a new job I was going after or a new city, just newness, right? And so I would move. And what do we do when we move? We purge a bunch of stuff and not just stuff, like people were, you know, the proximity is different, right? We're moving away from people. So we're ending relationships, whether it's friendships or platonic or anything like that. And a lot of times because we're in a new, we're now moving into a new environment, we are letting go of old routines and habits and things like that. So that was what I noticed was every time I would move to a new place, I would be like, yes, like I can do anything. Everything feels like great and new and fresh start. And then I would go back into old patterns and I'm like, oh, okay. It's kind of like the Dr. Seuss, like wherever you go, there you are. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's a real thing. Um, so it was like, okay, you know, and then I had that session with my mentor and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this minimalism thing. There's something to this. So how can I, instead of continuing to move and break things off and run away, essentially, how can I create this right where I am? Mm. And not only how can I create that physically around myself, how can I create that socially with my circle and my people and, the, and my jobs, you know, the we go to a job in the corporate world every single day and we see people. Do we like them? Do we not like them? How do we feel when we're there? Right. And then moving into the, I call it the habitual environment of what are the things we're doing every day? What are the behavioral patterns we're exhibiting? And what do our routines look like? Are we living for someone else the minute we get up in the morning? Or are we living for ourselves? What are we doing? So all that was swirling around in my head. And then it just basically started to snowball. And I put myself through like I always say the first beta was me because I went through a lot of this stuff and I was like, okay, step number one, what's the inventory of the things around me that I don't want? What's the people inventory of the people that I don't mm. want. Right. And then the things I'm like, what am, I, what am I doing every day? What is, what is my day consisting of and how is that affecting the rest of my life? And so what ended up coming out of that was we'll say like in each module as it was coming together was I would declutter and then I would use the space and be intentional in design. And again, different spaces, right? Physical, habitual, and social. And so I put that together in a framework and started putting one-on-one -on -one clients through it. And mm -hmm. what I loved about it was it was like a, a program that had an end where we could accomplish something. Cause prior to that, it was like, 
we're just going to do monthly coaching and I'm just going to be there to support what you need. And now I was giving these major tools to create massive identity shifts and massive action to hit the underlying issues. Cause we can talk about, you know, hitting goals all day, but if you're, if you still have the same crap around you and people that are really bringing you down and a job you hate and, or, or it's just, you're not in the right place in your job or, um, just like pacifying or toxic activities or, you know, behaviors that you're engaging in every day. Nothing I do is going to support you. Cause even if for a little while your mindset shifts, and we can talk more about how I feel about mindset. Um, you will go back cause you're living in an old identity that was created from a story that you needed at some point, maybe when you were younger, that no longer is true, that no longer applies. Right. And so then everything we've created around ourselves in all those areas just reflects that story, but we don't need it anymore. Wow. Right. So the book is actually, it's not, it's not as big as it sounds. It's, it's a little book. It's a, less than 200 pages, you know, minimalistic by design, but it's all around what is minimalism. Cause really it's about stripping away the things that don't serve us to find ourselves and find our true identity. And then going forward, being intentional with what we're allowing in those energy fields, in those spaces. So that's the book. Wow. So many good nuggets. I have so many questions already. I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. So one of my first questions is around social media boundaries. How does social media play into the less effect? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I, I have to give you props, Janelle, because you're so good at this. I mean, I love when I send you a DM that I don't hear from you for a couple of days. And I, I truly, from my heart, mean that. I'm like, she is my people because <laughs> you're disciplined in how you are treating your energy, like what you're doing with it. And what does that all really boil down to? Because my my answer to your question is, it's intention. It's intention of how we're using it. And it sounds so simple. So I'm going to give you a scenario, right? So it's a short scenario. We wake up in the morning. What do most of us do in the morning first thing? Start scrolling on Instagram. And even if we, even if we don't do it, what is, what is our urge to do? We like want to see like, who's out there or we have FOMO for our business and we need to get in the algorithm. There's a million reasons. And so what has helped me personally in regards to social media with the less effect is, you know, allowing a certain amount of time a day. And I'm going to be real with you. I don't always, I mean, if I'm in a launch or something, I mean, think there are exceptions to the rule for me, but it's all around intention. It's, it's saying to yourself, am I just hopping on to hop on first thing in the morning to set the tone for my day? Because once I'm scrolling, I'm in, I'm, I'm living for somebody else. I'm living for likes and follows and, and validation of others externally. It's not for me. Uh, and so there's that piece of it. And then there's a piece of when I'm in there, am I just mindlessly scrolling or am I engaging? Am I connecting? Did I have a reason to go on? And am I, how many times have we been like, uh, like, oh, I need to message Janelle back about scheduling the podcast. Ooh, squirrel. And then we're like, yes, you know, you know? Yes. so it's, it's, it's just creating new habits around that. And so in like the program, I have an eight week programs. When we go into that module of habitual environment, social media comes up a lot yeah. and it's like, we have to declutter before we can hop into new habits. And, and part of that is like a lot of people need like a cleanse. 
Mm-hmm. I went off for nine months. I only came back on in April or maybe it was March, like earlier this year. Oh, and that's like when we reconnected after like a couple yeah. years of not talking. Oh, fine. Yeah. That's cool. And I, it really, you know, you, you take weekends off or you, you take time when you go on your trips with your husband. I notice it. And it's, it's amazing because it screams intention. You're being intentional with it because we are all susceptible. I mean, if you've seen the social dilemma, we're all susceptible to that kind of, it's an, it's an addiction. Yeah. If we remember why we're using it and what it's for, because it's not bad. Social media is not the devil. It's not bad. Right. It's not like all these things that people are saying. It's not the demise of everything. But it, it could be if you're using it like that, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to be on my high horse because I have my moments too. And it's a constant struggle or challenge, yeah. I should say, to stay intentional with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like one of the, things that people say is less is more. And I think it's easy to say that, but I think that goes hand in hand with what you're saying about intention. If you're being intentional, then you might not need as much time on social media or as much time on your screen because you're being intentional. But when you're not intentional, you've got the squirrel moments happening over and over and over again. You might've opened your phone to write an email back to someone, (laughs) but you never even sent that email, you know? And so having that intention. And for me, that's why, I mean, I'm like an undiagnosed like ADHD person. My mom's a therapist. She's like, you have ADHD. I'm like, I don't want to like label myself as that, but I probably do. It's fine. Whatever. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm easily distracted. I'll be honest. And so I need that sticky note that says like, here are the things you need to do today. And I, I always try to get one or two of the things on my to-do list, like the most important ones, not the easiest ones. Cause I want to save the easy ones for later on in the day, but getting those most important ones done first before I let myself check social media is so important because then I'm like, oh, okay, I accomplished a few things and now I'm letting myself maybe scroll or do whatever it is on social media that if I were to get on social media first, I could go down to this like dark rabbit hole and then all of a sudden lose motivation for those like two or three things that I really wanted to get done today. And then I'm bombed out with myself. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I waste all this energy on social media and then I don't have the energy for the things that really matter afterwards. So I try to do those first and then reward myself, like kind of like a dessert almost with that social media fix or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Social media can feel like a party that we like need to get to that's always going on. And that's the problem. It's like this ongoing party and we feel like we need to be a part of the party or we're going to miss out or no one will know that we're there when we're even there or that we're missing or any of those things. And something that's helped me a lot, like I can't stress this enough. I'm a huge, huge fan of the morning routine and getting up early. And again, I'm not perfect, but I, you know, especially with a toddler, it gets a little crazy, but I, but more importantly, because I have a toddler, it's kind of like, I need that time in the morning. And so it feels like the party takes a little break at like 5 a.m., and I can relax and I can do my journaling and all this, you know, my meditation and all the stuff that I feel that I need that morning. So that when the party ramps up around, you know, whatever that peak time is, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. not, it's, a, it's a real feeling. Like, yeah. we, don't feel, we don't feel the Instagram, Facebook party FOMO at 5 a.m. We just don't. So That's it's easier true. To focus. But if we're getting up later and we're rolling out of bed, we like, I do think we need that hit less when Mm. we're fulfilling ourselves before. Yes. 
It's just, and, it's all connected, you know? Right. And I'll just do a little Enneagram plug because I always yeah. talk about the Enneagram. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love the Enneagram. Sam and I were just talking. She's a seven. I'm an eight. And I think for a seven, probably especially, I feel like sevens more than any other number struggle with FOMO. And so I could see that like, especially as a seven, it's like, oh my gosh, like I really want to be on there. I really want to see what's happening, you know, because you just like sevens just thrive on that fun and thrive on that connection with people and the adventure. And so I think all Enneagram types probably struggle with the the party happening on the phone, but I would think maybe sevens might have it even more because they just love that fun and that party. It's interesting because I'm like a diehard introvert. Are you? I am. Cause well, this is what I learned. Cause I love speaking and being around people and being at events and like the high vibration of others and community. It's really important to me, but one coach taught me and I'll never forget this cause it resonated so deeply was you, cause sometimes it's confusing. It's like, I love to be around people, but I also love to be alone. I love my alone time. You know, which am I? And she helped me to see that it was where I need to recharge. I love being around people and I love sharing that energy. And then I love being by myself to recharge so that I'm able to do that and be with others. I know. And I've always heard that. Yeah. Like wherever you recharge your batteries is like, that's how, you know, if you're an introvert, extrovert, I don't, I, I don't know for myself personally, I need both. So it's, I don't, most people looking at me and think I'm a diehard extrovert, which I think I am, but I also love alone time. Like I could just lock myself in a room yeah. for like two hours by myself and journal and read a book and like have no, like no TV, no, I could just love two or three hours by myself. But then by like the third hour, I'm like itching. I'm just like, I need to be around my people. Like I need people. So I feel like I need both. I don't know. I mean, I could spend a day doing that. So I think that's okay. A, okay. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. So we're seeing what it's like right like, there. I, this is, people think I'm weird. I, I usually work on Sundays. I save like 4 PM on for something social, mm-hmm. but I love getting up on a Sunday and, and like, no, you know, no one's calling me. I don't have calls. I have nothing planned. I can work on content. I can read, I can do all the things for myself. And for a while it was like FOMO, like, but it's Sunday, it's the weekend. And then I think slowly through being an entrepreneur, I let go of the attachment to like the seven day week and the work week. Mm. And I, I also have a toddler and I'm a single mom. So it's like, I, I needed a bit of restructure there as well, but I've like let go of that and it works super well for me so that, I don't know, I just, maybe it's the introvert in me that I just get so much done on Sundays. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, totally. And I also don't have a beach across the street for me like you. So <laughs> I think if I did, <laughs> I would struggle a lot. Harder. Yes, just beach, exactly. Exactly. But here's the thing. You get to the beach with your work <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'll work at the beach. And then all of a sudden you like, don't even care. You're like, nah, work can wait. And, and then you're you like, realize- this is work, which actually I, I talk about the success formula and I, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm finally like truly grasping how important play and relaxation yes. and self-care, like play into the success formula. Cause then when we're actually working, it's like heart centered and it's, it's intentional and it's, it's clear of the things we need to work on versus not work on. Cause we're so grounded and connected with our identity and what we love. So it's just, it works so in tandem. It's so important. Oh, totally. Like when I go and have fun outside and I go to the beach and I have, you know, I bike there on my little beach cruiser and all that stuff. It's like, 
I'm so filled up when I come back to work. I'm like, I love my life. I love working. I love this. But if I just work, 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 then I'm, I'm sitting there just like <laughs> every email I can barely trudge through, you know? And so I agree, like the fun, having fun is 100% a piece of the success formula. Yeah. Totally. And, it, and those are the moments that keep us present to, and presence is such a vital ingredient to connecting with mm. that identity because it's like, I think being around people is great and being around the right people is great, but it kind of, you, you also have to, in those moments with yourself and presence and like play and having a good time, connect yourself to know like, well, who are those people I want to be around? Right. And so just having those moments with you, you know, yeah. is, is crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of women, uh, especially a lot of clients I've worked with really struggle with spending time alone because I think if you haven't faced a lot of the crap in your life, like your past, if you haven't faced, and there's a lot of things you got to work through to be okay with being by yourself. So if you're someone listening right now and you actually struggle with spending time alone in silence, like without your phone, once again, that doesn't count. Scrolling on social media does not count as time alone, in my opinion. Um, but if you can't just be alone for an hour or two with your own thoughts, um, that probably means that there's some work to do to be able to be okay with your own thoughts and where you're at. Um, and I think some of that conversation is, is being able to say no to things, right? Part of uh, the FOMO is like switching it to JOMO, right? The joy of missing out. And in order to have the joy of missing out, you have to be able to say no to things. And Sam, something I've realized with a lot of my clients is they have such a hard time saying no to other people. And they have a really big challenge saying yes to themselves. Why do you think that is? Can you break down for me? And I think I already know the demographic of your clientele. Cause I think it's women. Yeah. I mean, I think mostly. most of the women who are on listening yeah. to this podcast right now are probably like in their twenties or thirties and they're, most of them are working corporately or, um, there's probably a few entrepreneurs that are listening as well, but I would say primarily most of them have some kind of maybe more eight to five type job. And I would say probably most of them are dating or married and maybe a few of some of them have kids. Yeah. There's my demographic. I think okay. I'm, I'm like everyone listening. Yes, <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> so I can, you know, relate to a lot of those things. I'm a woman. I'm in my mid thirties. I wasn't corporate, so I can relate to that. I'm a mom. So being in that experience, having had that experience, I know it's, okay, we'll talk about the corporate world. We, as women, especially women in, I think you deal with a lot of women in STEM, right? Yep, it's, yep. it's, I was in, I was a vice president of technology in my last job. Okay. I had a lot to prove all the time. I had to be on my A game and I had to make sure everybody was happy and just continue climbing that ladder and proving myself and proving myself and proving myself. And that becomes habitual. Mm. And so, especially as women in that environment, and I think, I think that glass ceiling is, is being broken more and more every day. There is, there is like a bit of a behavioral thing that gets formed around, you know, these industries that it's kind of a man's world. And any woman in there that's doing well, that's young, that's attractive, good luck, because you're constantly trying to exceed expectations mm. and then you come home and 
what are you supposed to do? Just like break out of that? That's that becomes, and you spend so much time at work, that becomes second nature to just want to please everyone. And then on top of that, another thing I can relate to, if you're coming home to family and children, you're, you're in another mode. It's, it's another often masculine mode of needing to do, do, do and implement and like, like just please everyone. Right. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the matriarch role as well. Oddly, we're, you know, as matriarchs in doing mode a lot, which is a masculine trait. Right. And so it's just this cycle that keeps going, going. So when you first asked me that, that's all I could think of was corporate mother matriarch, like you know, this is, and this is our generation as well. Like the millennial generation is a lot of it is doing and doing and doing. And Mm. I think that if we don't take those moments to ourselves to take that inventory of what are we doing? Is this, how does this make me feel? Do I want to keep doing this? Does this align with who I am? Sometimes we don't know the answer of who we are, but we know that it doesn't feel right doesn't feel aligned, not making us happy. It's not bringing us joy. If we don't consistently take those moments to balance out the other moments of our environment that are pretty much demanding that of us, then saying no is, it can feel like an impossible task. Mm. It really can. And that's why I always in the book, in the program, everything goes back to environment. And it's not to say like if you're in a job or a family, right? Something that's a bit fixed in the moment, at least. It's not to say that that environment can't change. It's, we shouldn't live in the it is what it is mentality and just keep going as we're going. Things can change right. because we can change. And when we can change, our perspective can change. But when it comes to being a yes person, it's just a habit. It's just a habit. And the way to break that habit with everything that I teach is all about environment and where that starts is becoming conscious and becoming Mm. conscious is like taking the inventory. Yeah. And like realizing how often are you just saying yes as your knee jerk reaction instead of taking a moment to think about it. I think that's, I think the tendency of wanting to people please and wanting to you know, cause yeah, it's like the go, 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 go worlds. And so, and especially if you're, a powerful woman or a go-getter woman, you're like, you're going and getting it at work. You're going and getting it at the, at your home life and probably with your social life, with your friends, with, you know, going out and having fun. Um, and so your knee jerk reaction is to say yes, 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 yes. Cause sometimes it's, sometimes it's saying yes to great things that, that you do want to do, but maybe you're too burnt out at this time, or maybe, you know, there, I think there's just a time and a place to step back and be like, let me get back to you on that or let me think about it. And that way you don't have to say yes as your knee-jerk reaction for every single thing that you ever asked to do because the answer might be no, but you're not giving yourself that. You're not taking the inventory, like you said, Sam. And you're not pausing long enough to even ask yourself, do I want to say yes to this or do I want to say no to this? Give yourself the option to say no. And the why. Why am I saying yes to this? Who is this for? Because it's simple. Is it for someone else or is it for me? And, you know, when you have kids, that's a different, it's a different story in a way, but it still goes back to the same thing. Like, is my life like starting with myself so that I can be this strong person for my family? 
or am I just de completely depleting myself starting every day hitting the ground for somebody else? Right. And there's a lot of, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of guilt around the, the mom thing of how we're showing up and how much self-care we're allowed and things like that. But I love that you said the, so about the pause thing. So I have a, a membership community as well. It's a coaching community. It's called the joy lab. And our assignment, there was a challenge of the week, the weeks that we don't have calls. And it was all around practicing the pause. Ooh, and can I nice. read you a really quick quote? Yeah. That's so powerful. Okay. Please do. That would don't be, be mad. Awesome. I'm getting on my phone so I can read you this quote. <laughs> but it is. Mad. You okay, sound like my ready? husband. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is intentional content right here. So yes. are you familiar with Viktor Frankl? He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yes. Fantastic mm -hmm. book. I okay. have heard of that book. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Ooh. So, that's a good one. Wow. And if you so, don't pause, then you don't, you might not respond the way that you would like to respond. Well, and it's simple, right? But I love the word freedom. Mm. And so I gave everyone in the group permission and I'm giving all of you listeners right now permission. Janella and I are giving you permission to practice the pause for as long as you need to connect with yourself and then to come up with an appropriate response. So I think between becoming conscious and taking that inventory of like, what am I really not enjoying right now? And what do I really want to say no to? And then combining that with taking the pause when you know, you're going forward and people are asking things of you. And this does apply at home to your kids. This does apply to your husband. This does apply to your, to boss. your boss. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I have been in situations, I, you know, I was in corporate over 10 years. And I remember when I started to learn that I could have an opinion just because I was a woman didn't mean I couldn't have an opinion. And just because I was surrounded by all men didn't mean I couldn't have an opinion. And it was this, it was this, this slow progression of me saying in meetings, I don't agree. And this is why. And some people were pissed off. Some people were like, you go, you go girl. That's a good idea. And so it was this finding my voice in there really came from me learning about myself and stripping away the layers of things that like weren't to me. And so if we keep building this environment around ourselves subconsciously and and on autopilot that reflects an old, quiet, demure, you know, person that doesn't speak up, we, we're just going to be that person going forward, right? And so it is, it's a hard thing to do. Saying no is something I still, I'm really much better at it. It's kind of fun sometimes. Like, um, it's like a fun challenge. Um, <laughs> and somebody who told me this, uh, Oh, it, I had a, I had a call with a new client and she said to me, a mentor told her always do one thing less than you are able because stuff always comes up. Right? right. And it just, it really sat. I love my clients teach me so much. It's so amazing. So, but I, I'll never forget that because I, I really believe if we don't treat our time as sacred, who else is going to, no one else mm. will. Yeah. And that brings a good point of a lot of times in the workplace, if we don't see ourselves as valuable, then we don't see our self or our time as sacred, which is why we say yes, 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 yes to so many things. And because we think 
that's how we're going to get our value or that we won't be seen as valuable if we don't do that for you, the coworker, for the boss. Like we're trying to just constantly do all these things to prove our worth instead of realizing my time is valuable. I am valuable. I can say no to things. And, and it doesn't mean always saying no too. I, I mean, that's the thing is that that's what makes it so hard because we live in a very black and white world, right? I was talking with my newest client recently and she was saying, I feel like I can either be the yes woman who just makes everyone happy, or I can be a total biatch and just be like, no, no, no. And, and it's difficult to try to find the gray on that, right? Like sometimes I say yes and sometimes I say no. And even if I do say no, I'm not a biatch. And if I say yes, then you know, I can do so with grace and power as well. And living in the gray is much harder for people. It's why people do diets. It's why people, you know, do all these things that are get rich quick because we like things that are black and white, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, I guess, fortunately, I don't know, but the challenge, yeah, perspective, (laughs) the challenge is, um, being willing to go a slower, steadier route and more of a gray route and realizing it's not, one, one thing fits all for the yes and no game. I think, I think what you're talking about in between is that pause because then we get to choose and then we get to be intentional. And I, can I share a little corporate story? Oh my gosh, of course, please. Yeah. So I, two jobs that I was employed at ago, like my second to last job I ever had, I was working for a tech company and I knew I needed, I, I, I wanted a mentor. I chose bet. And so I met with one of the executives. I could not believe that she, I I remember thinking she said, yes, this is amazing. Like she had come from another huge company and she was super well-known and just crushing the space. And I remember her hair was always perfect and she was in such good shape. And like, I knew she had twins at home and I'm just like, I got, I, she's the, I need to, I need to get in her head. She is superwoman. (laughs) Yeah. She literally is. And I, I went in with the intention of like getting some gold. Like, like, how does she do this? Cause I came from do, do, do. I mean, I also was raised by a single mom. Like it's always been ingrained with me, like go, 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 you know, I, you know, and so I was, I was bred around the idea, like you don't need a man, you got to, but it like went to the extreme of like, no one's going to help you. You got to do everything yourself. And like, no one's going to save you. And it was good in some ways. And also really fixed me in my masculine. I'm, I'm, I'm now understanding the balance, the di- divine balance of the masculine and feminine. Hey there, you may already know my story from thinking that my life wasn't very valuable or have much purpose to transitioning to the belief that I am valuable and my life was created for a purpose. And then starting to finally pursue my biggest dreams. And I have a feeling you might be on a similar path that you're wanting to fully believe in yourself and your quote-unquote crazy dreams and have the confidence it takes to audaciously pursue those dreams. So if you're listening right now and thinking, yes, Janelle, that is 100% me, then I have something special for you. You see, I still remember the days where I cared way too much about what other people thought of me and was filled with uncertainty around what I was and wasn't capable of doing with my life. And looking back, I am certain that there is one thing that I wish I had known all this time. I want to share it with you to help you make the transition from caring way too much about other people's opinion of you to becoming a free bird, fully allowing yourself to pursue what you want. 
So I've created a free resource that lays out the number one thing that's getting in the way of you having that unshakable confidence and how to overcome it. If you're ready to commit to your personal growth and get real honest with yourself, go to nextlevelconfident.com forward slash confidence muscle and grab this free resource. So I meet with this woman and we're talking and I'm like, I just, you know, I needed a mentor. I'm, I could really use some guidance. I, I look at you in awe, if I'm being honest. And I, I would just love to know, like, you float around this office, like everything's all good. And then you see everyone else on the executive team, like putting out fires. Cause it was a, at least in the U S was more of a startup. And <laughs> she says to me, Oh, it's easy, Samantha. I literally block off two hours a day on my calendar that no one can take because stuff always goes awry and I need to deal with it. But this allows me to deal with it. And she, she said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. People don't have a super high level for really, really busy people. They come off really disorganized. So if you're like, can you, and that's why I like that you said the yes, but also the no, if someone's like, you know, can you do this? And you're like, no, no, I'm so busy. It, it reflects their ability to prioritize, to do time management, to how much it's basically how much they respect themselves to be able to say no to things and, and their sense of who they are and what they can handle, what they're capable of. Right. And so I'll just never forget that moment because it helped me to really understand how sacred my time was and that just because something might be important because someone says it is, does not mean that it's urgent. Hmm. We live in this, this culture of urgency. Yes. I, I believe technology and social media and all that plays a really big role, but it gave me permission to say, at least to myself, maybe not to my boss, but like, mm, that's not urgent. But like, uh, instead of say, instead of me saying, Oh, I got an empty slot tomorrow. I'll swoop in and do it just to please her. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to make that time, you know, I'm going to block it off for just whatever might go wrong. And I'm going to wait a week to address it. And if she says, okay, then I'm okay. With it. Or my boss says, okay, I'm okay with it. And just under, this is a time management thing, but it's so much deeper because Wait, it's sorry. Like, can I pause you really fast? So you're yeah. saying that you're, you, every day your boss or this woman was saying that you should have a two hour break or a two hour like slot where you have nothing on your calendar so that you can like, when someone comes to you with something urgent, you can do it in that time slot. Is that what you're saying? If someone comes to you, you get to decide. I, I don't care if you're the, you know, first rung on the ladder in the corporate world. You get to say like, to yourself at least, is this urgent truly or is it not? And this could be from your boss. This could be from a client, you know, and you get to decide. So she's, if it truly is urgent, then they can have that time. But that's the thing. It's not always urgent. It's, right. it's just like this culture that we live in. And it was, this all weaves back into saying yes or saying no, but really just using that pause to be intentional and then how we protect our time. And it, it, I just, I, I, I will remember that forever because it's how I'm able, especially as an entrepreneur, um, shifting out of corporate, or even if we can talk about entrepreneurship of being within a corporate setting, a corporate company and learning how to just self-manage ourselves like we are running a business because we we are our own business, right? Yeah, right. And learning how to do that within a company, that builds respect, that builds rapport. People like someone who knows themselves and we show that by, 
being able to manage our time and prioritize. And part of prioritizing is saying, yes, this is urgent. No, this is not urgent. And, and I, I challenge all of you to say to your boss or say to a client, okay, is this urgent? And see what they say. It's a valid question. Right. Right. Yeah. Because so often it sounds like, you know, I, I hear, I mean, I've had this before when I was in the corporate world and I hear it with my husband because he's in the corporate worlds and a lot of my clients, it's like a boss comes to you, you know, the night before and all of a sudden just drop something on your lap that needs to be done in the morning. And then my client is working till midnight to try to make that happen for the boss, you know? And, and I know that there are, there are times where random things happen and, and that might need to happen here and there. But when it starts to become repetitive, it's like, you can't constantly bend your entire schedule for someone else's poor planning, or you can't constantly work till midnight and, make your health not a priority because you're burning out fires for everyone else. Because um, quite, quite honestly, it just shows a lack of self-respect. And I mean, I've heard so many women say like, well, I just would never want to stand up. Like I would never want to say something to my boss like that. It's like, she's my boss. It's like, hey, your life matters too. And your time matters too. And you're a valuable asset to this company. So if you're going to be treated like crap over and over again, and probably unknowingly, I'm not saying the boss is doing this on purpose. It's not like the boss is usually trying to be a jerk. They're just unaware and treating you a little bit like a workhorse and just, you have never spoken up. So you've trained them to think that it's okay to keep doing that, right? Because you never stood up for yourself. You never paused and said, Hey, is this actually urgent? Because if not, I'd like to work on it tomorrow, or I'd like to work on it in a week when I have my, my, my plate is a little more clear, like being willing to question it. I know you think your boss is like God, but you are in control of your life and you don't have to say yes to everything your boss tells you. And you don't have to, um, bend over backwards at a moment's notice every single day just to please your boss, because that might look cool in the, in the short term, but long-term, it's not going to be good for your health. And long-term, people aren't going to respect you. They're going to walk all over you because you never stand up for yourself. And there are plenty of other career options out there for you. There's an abundance of opportunity. So if you're being walked all over again and again and again and again, well, first of all, you need to give your boss the opportunity to make a change, you know, because they might not know that they're doing something like this to you. And then if you give them a couple opportunities to change or make things better or to collaborate to make things more manageable, then you might just need to walk away from that position and get a different position with someone who respects your time because you respect your time. Yeah, it all starts with you. And I love, I love what you're saying because these are the conversations we have to have to set boundaries. These aren't, boundaries aren't just for our personal life. They're also for our work life. And it shows our self-worth if we have boundaries. It's so important. And I remember having, I was in accounting and I did accounting and tax and, you know, tax season is just crazy. Right. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, obviously during tax season, getting stuff thrown on my desk. And, and there are I, deadlines and there are times where it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think there are bosses that don't know they're doing it. And to give them the opportunity, I love that you said that because some bosses really want to be a better boss because they want better staff. They want everyone getting along and they want harmony and flow. Like who wouldn't want that? I will tell you, I did have one boss who I'll never forget on my birthday. Everyone left to go to the bar for my birthday, but she kept me till midnight. 
And so I couldn't even go. No, to your own birthday party celebration? Correct. And she (gasps) did it on purpose. And I went in her office. I just finished the work. I left. I got home. I cried because I was just so drained. You know, those cries, you're not even sad. You're just like, oh, I'm so like, and I, and I held my tongue. And sometimes, and I want to give some people credit on here is it's hard to have those conversations, but sometimes you get to a breaking point where you are like, enough is enough. I can still do this respectfully, but it's, it's got to come up. Right. I think a lot of us on, you know, people that are listening have experienced a not great boss situation. And so I went in there the next day and I said, I found what you did last night. I think we both know it was extremely disrespectful and it really upset me because you did not need to keep me. You have never kept me this late except for this day. So I had the conversation with her and I gave her concrete examples that she's done similar behavior prior and ways that I've tried to create solutions around it that didn't work. And I was giving her an opportunity to kind of come clean with me and, and work through this. I actually quit in that conversation. And the next day she gave me a raise because she realized I don't, I, I don't know that she really realized my value until I showed up in my value. Yes. I realized my value. So my behavior exhibited my value. Yes. And then she consciously was like, Hmm, that would really suck. If she left, I would actually be screwed. And I got a raise. Now I didn't end up staying there because she, she just was who she was, but <laughs> it, it That's was amazing. It was honestly though, like valuable in the experience and the lesson of, okay, like here's, here's what can happen. I quit and leave and find something better and I don't have to deal with her anymore. Or, you know, she hears me and, and some changes in me. She did get a little bit better. And so we, to me, those are both opportunities. There's really, it is a win-win when we see our value, right? Yes, totally. And, you know, she probably got better that day because you were willing to have that conversation with her respectfully and boldly. And um, people often just don't know what they're doing. That's what I try to remind myself of, my clients of, anyone who I talk to. It's like, giving that person the grace of understanding they might not be doing that on purpose. It might be an accident. It might be, they're just lacking emotional intelligence or awareness around their behaviors. Cause we all have had that. I've had friends give me feedback on things. And when they tell me it does hurt at first, you know, it's not easy to hear the things that you're not very, you're not doing a good job on. Um, but it, it provides growth. And we often think that if we, um, you know, if we offer up this information to our, our boss or a friend or our loved one, um, if we give them the feedback, they're going to hate us afterwards, right? That's the biggest fear. I think deep down why we don't give feedback or ask for what we need is because we think if I ask for it, this person will hate me or this person will disown me or I'll get fired or I'll no longer be loved. Those are our fears. And while it feels very counterintuitive, the truth is that when you see your value, just like what you were just saying, Sam, in your story, you thought that, you know, I, I bet most women who were in your shoes in that moment might've thought, if I have this conversation with her, I'll probably get fired. But because you came with res- self-respect, you got a raise, 
which you didn't decide to take, but you got no, a raise. I, I took it. I did take it. Oh, you did take it. But I didn't you, last very, I, I very long. Oh, eventually. I see. But it did. It was a learning experience. I, right. I did take the race. You did I, take the race. I, I, I very oh, okay. glad I was worth it. I was worth that race. I was not getting paid enough for sure. I yeah. thought you meant you immediately quit like right out. I thought you, that no, you I like, first, I told her I was leaving. Like I was not. Right. And then leaving. she offered you the raise yeah. and then you said yes and you stayed and then you quit. Eventually. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I actually moved to San Francisco, but that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> but, but the point is that it feels yeah. counterintuitive because it feels like if you're going to have a hard conversation, you think that the person's going to hate you, but a lot of times the opposite happens. They start to respect you and you actually get what you wanted in the first place. And that's the part that most women, I think, don't get. They, they think that it's going to be bad if they bring up this issue. And really it's not going to be bad. It's going to, you'll end up winning in the end and, and everyone wins because you are willing to step into your worth. Well, here's the thing about that is I saw this quote once and it said the people that become upset by your boundaries benefited from you having them. So really what that says is like, if a boss is not going to hear you or respect you and fire you, that was a really unhealthy relationship. And you probably shouldn't be around it anyway. And it's easy for us to say, right? Oh, okay. They fire you. And then you, but then you have to get a new job and all that. But this is, this is all part of finding the joy and happiness in our life is creating the boundaries because we believe we're worth it. And the only way we achieve or experience the things that we feel we deserve is by setting the boundaries out of self-love and self-worth. That's the only way. And there are so many lessons in that. And really, you know, we don't have to go to the dark side of like, oh, the worst case scenario. What about the best case scenario? And something you said, Janelle, that stood out to me was this isn't, this, this approach benefits everyone. It's not just about us having the moment of self-worth. It's about you possibly making your boss a better boss because you're giving the feedback and you're giving them the opportunity and the benefit of the doubt to do better that they might not have known. And without taking that approach, we will, we can't improve things. It's just, it's not going to happen on its own a lot of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. And the more comfortable you can get with giving feedback, the more comfortable you can get with getting feedback mm -hmm. and realizing it's okay if you're on the receiving end of it, right? And being humble and gracious enough and not defensive when someone says, hey, I see you're doing this, this, and this. I don't like it. And you can be like, instead of immediately thinking, no, I don't do that. Who, me? No. It's being like, oh, maybe I, maybe I do those things. Let me think back. Oh, I actually have done those things a few times. And that's, I could see how that would be frustrating for that person and how can I be better for them and how can I be better for myself? And so, yeah, I think it's not even, I want to make sure we talk about the receiving part, right? Because right? Yeah. I don't want anyone, like everyone listening, like rah, 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 I'll go get all the <laughs> feedback in the world, but I am yeah. so awesome and so perfect that I would never receive feedback. It's like, this is a two-way street. We welcome and enjoy giving and receiving feedback. It's not always easy, but we know it makes us better. And that is a growth mindset right there. Yeah, and your boss can come back with some really constructive feedback. And then what happens is now both parties know how to improve the situation. Hopefully that's hopefully where we're at. And if not, you get to get your feedback and take that to wherever you go. So yeah, yeah I love that. It's, it's important to think like that too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Okay. This was so good. Okay. So I want to touch on a couple more questions and then we're going to go into our final power hour. Um, one thing that you mentioned at one point was that you feel like mindset can be a trap in personal development. I'm super curious. What did you mean by that? So you're hearing me talk a lot about identity, right? I'm an identity coach. So we're going to talk about that. So mindset is an interesting thing. So in personal development, whether you're new to it or you're knee deep in it, it's, you're going to hear this phrase mindset all the time. You're going to hear the word mindset. mindset. It's It's a buzzword. And really what it is, it's like, okay, if you change your mindset, what changes your behavior changes and your perception of yourself changes. How can you change your mindset? If you have a certain perception of yourself, wouldn't you need to change your perception in order to change your mindset? So Mindset is a powerful thing, and that's why um, you've got someone who really wants to lose 20 pounds, and so they adopt behaviors and the mindset that will support them losing that weight. And then what happens? They gain it all back, and then they lose it again, and then they gain it all back. And it's this flip-flopping because what's happening is their environment has supported an old story that might be just in this example someone that, you know, was once overweight and only identifies like that. So it all goes back to identity. So we can, we can change our mindset. We can do a 30 day challenge. We can do all that stuff. But if the root of it all is based around limiting beliefs and an identity that doesn't reflect who we really are, it reflects what other people want us to be or think we are all of those things, then we're just going to keep going back to that. So if mindset was that easy where we could just shift our mindset, we'd all be perfect. We'd all be great. It would be, it would be fantastic. But if we're continuously creating stuff around us, consciously, subconsciously, that isn't reflecting that highest self, our mindset will always go back. And that's why I think other examples, like starting a book and being like so fired up about this self-help book and we're going to implement everything. And then we finish the book we don't even finish the book. Right. And then we don't apply anything or we go to like a Tony Robbins seminar and we're like so fired up when we're there because the environment is amazing, but we don't have that same environment at home Hmm. physically, socially, habitually. So what are a couple ways that people can change their environment? Um, so the, like the biggest thing that I've mentioned is becoming conscious to who we are and what we want. And a little, can I give a little exercise? Oh my gosh, please. Okay. So this is the less more list. So on one side of the paper, I'm always like confused, which is this my left to you? Yes. Okay. But this is my right hand. So So on the left (laughs) side of the paper, you're going to write less on the top. And on the right side of the paper, you're going to write more and you're going to put a line down the middle. And what you're going to do, and you can take as long as you need, is you're going to write down all the things first that you want less of. And these could be tasks, people, obligations, things in your house, just anything, any experiences, like anything you just want less of in your life, right? And then you're going to switch to the more side on the other side. And you're going to now get in possibility mode, right? Like what are all the things I want more of? I want more travel. I want more love. I want more space in my house. I want more fun. I I think as specific as you can on both sides, it's really helpful, right? When we talk about manifesting and all that. So when we're communicating to the universe, we want to be as specific as possible. 
Once you've done that and you feel complete, you're gonna go back to your left side and you're gonna write, go to each line, you're gonna write down what it's gonna take to discard that from your life. Mm. And if it's like, I want less clothes with holes in it, easy, right? We just throw it out, right? Right. We just get rid of them. Right. If it's like, I want less of my husband. I don't know. I'm just thinking of a really <laughs> extreme one. I'm just saying, I, oh. I, you know, I'm just saying some are harder than others. I don't know. It's true. You know? No, that, that would be a very hard one. Yeah. I want, well, we could go back to the boss thing, right? Like I want less I, of, the, of this boss, you know, sounds weird, but yeah, it's fair. it just means moving to, you know, what it could just open up the possibility of like new job, new department, new role, new dynamic with the, I mean, open up your mind to the possibilities of how you can get rid of these things in your life. Cause you, you clearly wrote them down and you don't want them on the more side. You're gonna do the same thing. And what's really cool is that once you've opened up the possibility of how to get rid of stuff, it leaves this like, like theoretical space of possibility to have more of the more side. Right. And that seems possible. So what, what is it going to take to get more travel, to get more love, to get more joy or whatever specific thing you put on that side. And what's really cool about the more side is sometimes you write things down that you've had before. So you get to think about, well, when did that leave my life and why did it leave my life? Mm. And what this does is it just creates this consciousness around what you want to create, which is so powerful. And then from there, there's a bit more, but it's starting to discard stuff in your physical environment. It's having hard conversations in your social environment. It's, you know, looking at the inventory of our habits and adopting new routines. And there's, there's a lot that goes into that, but it all starts with becoming conscious to who we've been so we can become who we are. Cause really what the less effect is about and what the work is about is it's uncovering all this, you know, this massive pile of stuff we've the yeses and the, all the things that should be, this should be all that stuff. Right. It's, it's also consumerism, all the stuff we thought we needed to buy and have to mm. feel fill in the blank. We get to peel that away and then find ourselves because we've been there the whole time. We've just cluttered so much stuff and people and things and behaviors on top of it mm. that we don't know anymore. So bringing all that stuff from our subcon like our desires and wants and dreams and all that into our conscious mind we can make the shift around us to then put us into that identity of who we are so that the the things that we do and the things that we create around that newfound space reflect that person mm, that's cool so we, we can say things like no we can create boundaries we have a home that makes us feel like maybe not the Tony Robbins event, but like we feel energized by our spaces yeah. and not drained by them. That's so cool. I love that assignment. Everyone listening, please do it. <laughs> and, and I feel like it's probably one of those things that after you get done with it, it would probably be easy to feel overwhelmed. I would think, cause you're like, oh my gosh, I have so many things I need to do. I have all these things to get rid of and all these things to add in. And I need to find, do this and that. I feel like even if you were to just pick two or three things to get started on, like if it's, getting rid of the clothing with holes. I, I had a client actually recently. That's one of the things I talk about in my program as well is like getting rid of old crap in your life. And so, um, a lot of times my clients will go through like their garages or their closets and just get rid of all the old clothing and the things that, that, that don't make them feel sexy that they wear. And so my client was like, this is really weird for me to tell you, but 
got rid of all my old thongs. I've had those thongs for like 10 years and they have holes in them. Why do I still have unsexy thongs? Like, I don't need those nasty things. And I was like, yeah, like even that stuff can be weird. Like energetically, you're putting on these nasty, holy thongs and you're like, Janelle, great. That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like (laughs) we've all been there, right? We've all been, yeah, we've literally all been there. Yes. And and if if we, a lot of us millennials were raised by like the baby boomer generation of like hoarding and holding on to everything. So we literally- do that. And then we realize one day, like, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to keep like acting like we need all this stuff. Or like, if, if, if it's gone that we suddenly, I think there is a discomfort of letting go because we as humans create meaning around even things, right? right. So letting go, even on a subconscious level, we have attachment to things. That's a whole nother discussion around attachment. Right. We could, we'll be here for another five hours. Yeah. So it's, stay it's tuned. A real, yeah. It's a real thing. There's something, there's a, there's a study you can read about in the book. It's called the endowment effect. And really what it is, is it's like, there's two groups and one gets uh, mugs. It's simple. They get mugs and they're told they own them. The second group gets to just inspect the mugs, but they don't own them. And then they have to place each person in each group places a value on the mug. Mm. Guess which group consistently valued it higher? The one who owns their mug. The one who owns the mugs. So there's like, it shows the rapid rate at which we attach to things when we own them. Yes. The emotional value. Yeah. Yes. That's like Frankie and I, when we're listing things on OfferUp and he's like, that's for sure worth a hundred dollars. I'm like, (laughs) dude, I'm like, that thing is like $10. And he's like, no, it's not worth $10. And like, I looked at everyone else who's posted and they're all at $10. Like that's where we're at. If anything, we have to go to $9 so we can have ours bought quicker. And he's like, it's gotta be a hundred (laughs) dollars. I know it's a real thing. And then there's emotional attachment. There's some cost bias, which applies to things, people, all that stuff, right? Around, we put so much time, energy, fill in the blank to it. We, We have to hold on to it. And it's like, okay, so we'll, we'll keep spending time, energy, money on this thing that we don't even want. That doesn't make sense when you say it out loud. Right. right? Yes. So yeah, there's a whole list of reasons, but, but I love your example of the woman with the thongs because that's why, so I have an eight week course that people can go through to actually apply this whole, it's, it's the less effect method of going through it. And it does start with physical environment because when we start to discard things that we even feel the slightest attachment to for whatever reason, we start to build confidence in our ability to let go because the, the Buddhists, that's what the Buddhists say. It's, it's the, the, you know, our suffering is from attachment. That's where mm. it comes from. So learning how, and it's true because once we don't have the attachment, we can be, we can be present, we can enjoy the moment and that's where our joy is. So it starts with the physical of doing that. And then, you know, on top of being able to let go more, we also tend to get more grounded in our true identity, which gives us that confidence to discard in other areas that might be more difficult, like our relationships, like super difficult, right? Habits that we've, you know, behavior patterns, letting go of stuff like that is, is hard. But when we shift that environment, it just opens up such a world of possibility to who we really are and what we really want. Yeah, totally. And what I think is so interesting, like we're both coaches, right? And I do talk a lot about mindset. And I think it's interesting because we're all like, we're saying the same thing. Like with my clients, we work on mindset and we work on the limiting beliefs and recreating the new story. And I work on mindset first. 
and I often don't even talk that much about getting rid of things. And it actually is like a, a natural change as they're working on their mindset, their environment starts to shift. And like a lot of my clients are, will end up breaking up with a boyfriend or end up yeah. leaving their job. Like there's so many shifts that are happening. And then it's funny or not funny, but it's just like cool because what you're doing is you're focusing more on the environment and the identity part and their mindset is shifting. And so I feel like it can be done as long as you're going back to the limiting beliefs and going back to the stories and retraining the stories. I think anything is possible. Then both happen synonymously, right? The mindset changes while the environment changes and the environment changes while the mindset changes and all of this, and, th- and shifts are just happening left and right. It's so well, it's in, yeah. Cool. The magic is in the shift, right? Because then right. then we're so solid in that mindset, and we can go forward and make the decisions around our highest self. Yeah, it's so powerful. So go into your boss's office and just don't be too mean, but yes. like also speak your mind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Stand up for yourself. Find your worth, and throw out your thongs if you need to, because that might be the thing <laughs> that leads you to having that conversation with your yes. boss. I mean, who knows? It's, it's true. It really is. It's true. so true. No, it's literally so it's true. So it's powerful. Insane. It's so funny because I did a talk and I was talking about how like like the NHL player who throws out like all his t-shirts, can, it can help his play. You know, and like it's really. God, letting go is so powerful because it creates space. That's the beauty is it creates space for us to show up as ourselves. So cool. It's so cool. I love it. I feel like we could be talking literally. I know. <laughs> hours because we, I feel like I'm like we still have to talk about feminine and masculine energy, and then we need I'll to be back. This and yeah, back. <laughs> you guys, she'll be back. If you're still here one hour later, Thank she'll you. be back. Um, okay, so let's go ahead. I usually ask the question if you could have every listener take action on one thing after listening today, but I feel like you already answered that with that journaling homework. But if you have anything else, feel free to say it. Something that I go through in the first like week or module of this program is we go a lot, like a lot back to childhood. We dive deep because that's, there's some point in there that we kind of lost ourselves a little bit or, you know, we, we created that story, right? And it could be because we wanted to fit in. It could be from a traumatic event. It could be from like a survival mechanism. It could be really deep. And so what, maybe in the show notes, I I have like three questions that really start to prompt someone to get into that thought process. That's really powerful because that's kind of where it all starts. And you know this from working with clients is it tends to go back to like a moment or you know, and, and, and it also reminds us like, you know, one of the questions is when's the last time you felt like overwhelming, overflowing joy. And for so many people, especially in the corporate world, cause it's such a grind sometimes, especially as a woman in a man's world yep. or a boy's yep. club. And I hate to keep saying that one day yep. you want to say that, but, and for all you women listening, doing that, like kudos to you because it's, you're, you're paving the way you are trailblazing. Yes. So so really going back to that time of when is the last time you felt joy and you felt flow and you, you were unstoppable. Um, and then like, how, how do we create that? Right. But I can, I can provide a few. Yeah. 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 Uh, Send over the questions. Yeah. They'll be in the show notes, you guys. Awesome. Okay. Last thing I have to share is I came up with this yesterday. I was speaking for the women of Texas A&M and it was, it's a wise group, which is women in science and um, engineering. And afterwards, like, I, I actually, we, we DM'd about this, but <laughs> I was like glowing and I was like, I'm like sweating. I'm blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, I, and I had so many people respond like, you're glowing, you're glowing, you're glowing. And I was like, I love speaking for women so much. I'm like so passionate about it. And I realized that was my flow glow. 
And I'm like, oh. you get a glow when you're in your flow, right? Okay. I am a little sweaty right now, which is, Ooh, is that glow? Is that I, think that, different? I think that's your flow glow. Yeah. Like you I'm get, like warm. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. yeah. It's like the hot energy of like doing something that you're passionate about and that you love. And you're mm. like, you're in your flow. And I, I feel the same way. I'm like a little bit sweaty right now. I'm yeah. a little glowy, <laughs> but I'm like so happy. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, that's part of the question is like, when was the last time you were in your flow glow? Like you were having so much fun that you were glowing. So, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm glowing. I like, I'm feeling it in this conversation because this is the stuff that lights me up. I mean, I, I love, that's how I knew something shifted in me is I love my clients. Like I truly, like, I remember having clients where I'd have to show up to calls and I'm like, oh, this is, it's not working. Like this is not lighting me up. Something's got to shift. And so every time I am on a call, I would say the last client call I had, I mean, it literally every time, this is how the exchanges are. Yes. And that's how I know. That's why when I talk about imposter syndrome of like, it's kind of like an excuse because it's really us ignoring that we're not in the right place and we're not in our, our, our flow. Globe. We're not in like mm. the place that we're meant to be. Right. And we're just stuffing it down. So if we feel like an imposter, which is kind of how I used to feel in coaching, for a little while because I, I, I didn't, I was trying to serve people where I thought they needed it mm. and like fill a gap yes. and go to them and be yes. external with it versus mm -hmm. let me just be me and what I'm really freaking good at. And then suddenly I was like owning like me and, like yes. me and then people were like, Hey, can I work with you? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you can. And so every, like now that that's the energy in the sessions. And I, I like get off sessions and you know, you know, when you're in that flow with clients and then they like send you a message after it's like when you have a really good date and then the guy, like, yes. you after. <laughs> I get these like very like awesome messages after of feedback. And it's like, that's how I knew. I was in that identity and, you know, we're ever evolving as well. So just, I think case in point of this whole thing is like, get back to you, like whatever mm. that means, like pausing, becoming conscious, taking the inventory and then just making the decision of like, all right, it's shift time. Mm. I'm ready. Yeah. To, I'm ready. I, I either can repeat. And I always pe ask people this question too. I'm, you know, digressing a little, but basically like, are you willing to live like this for the rest of your life? That's one of the first questions I ask clients when we start working together. And mm. it's always no. That's why they came to me. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm the exact same way. Like when I was doing fitness, it felt like I was, I've always felt like I should do fitness. Cause I'm like, I think women need help with their physique, you know? So that's what I should do. And, but what I always wanted to work on was confidence. That's actually why I quit my job at the tech company I worked at in Colorado. It's why I moved to San Diego. It's why I started my business. It was always about helping women's confidence but I kept going back to fitness because I thought that's what I should be doing because like that's what women want. But I don't want to talk about confidence. That's boring. Like it's like a mindset thing. Like people don't really care about mindset. Like people are always like, you want to help them with something they want help with. And they don't want help with confidence. They want help with their body. And so I'd be like, you're right. I'll just talk about the body all the time, you know? And then I yeah. finally said, screw that. I want to talk about confidence. Yes. And it's the same thing. It's like now that you now more and more and more you attract more of like what you're looking for. And you're like, this is amazing. It's so awesome. It's such a flow. And it's such a flow. From and, you, flow. <laughs> and you get that hashtag flow glow. Hey. Uh, that's going to blow up. So you guys 
Oh my gosh. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. I'm going to use that all the time now. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So now we're going to get into our power hour of questions. Okay. Sam, what is the best advice you ever received? Best advice I ever received. Um, That's a great question. I think this isn't a concise thing, but when I watched the movie Minimalism, just the message of that movie like changed my life. So I don't know that it was advice, but it was exposing a way of life to me that really made me so fulfilled and so happy and changed me forever, honestly. Yes, it's such a good documentary. I'll link it below. I'll link it below. What's your favorite beverage? Uh, Water, sorry. Okay, kombucha. If it's not water, it's kombucha. It's kombucha. Okay, what kind of kombucha? Uh, I like something with lavender in it. Usually always. Ooh, yeah. Fun. Usually always. I don't know. If that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Usually always. I'm going fast. I'm going fast. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I have a blank at my desk at all times. Oh, a crystal. Ooh. You're that's the second person to say that actually. Yeah. That's cool. Um, a book or a podcast that you're reading right now. Oh, I'm reading the book attached, which is all around attachment theory. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I've heard such good things on the book. I I actually am putting that on my reading list. I don't say that to everyone because I only say things if I actually mean them, but I actually want to read that book. No, no. Uh, Favorite personality test, if any. I recently did human design. It's amazing. I don't know if that falls in the category of personality tests, but it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Best moment as a businesswoman. Hmm. Best moment. Oh gosh. There's so, I mean, writing my book, becoming a number one bestseller. That was kind of awesome. Yeah. Twice, by the way, it became number one twice. So that wow. Cool. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. That, I'd say that's a pretty huge moment right there. Yeah. Like the, like the day I launched and then like hit bestseller was, yeah, this best moment for sure. Oh, cool. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite app or an app that you would suggest that women should use? Um, What's coming to mind is an app called Insight Timer, and it is a meditation app. And I went on this app when it was in beta like years ago, and it has gotten so good. And you can do guided, you can just do chimes, you can do stories. There's stuff for kids on there. I mean, it's a wonderful app. It is something I use every day. That's awesome. I love it. We'll, yeah. we'll link it below also. Cool. Okay. Sam, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being on here. And uh, you guys, as I already mentioned, you can find her on Instagram linked below. And then is there anything else you wanted to tell people about what you're up to right now? Um, no, just that I, I do have that eight week program. On, oh, I'm, I'm launching an online course. That's kind of important. <laughs> that's coming in the coming weeks. And that's basically just an online version of my one-on-one VIP coaching. So look out for that. Cool. Awesome. Sam, you rock. I could talk to you all day long. If anyone is still actually listening, which I feel like they have to, <laughs> is anyone still here? Is it just us? It's Hello? fine. Us? Hello? <laughs> Hello? Can you hear us? <laughs> but we had fun at the very least. If you're still listening, thank you so much for giving time out of your day to, to spend time with Sam and I. We really appreciate you. And we hope you got some good nuggets out of this. Yes. So, thank you, Janelle. Thank you, everybody. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Bye.